Hello, friends. This is Sarah Bath, and you are listening to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Simply 127 podcast. A few times during the season, we're going to do what I like to call a deeper dive interview, which is an interview about a specific topic, or maybe it's a little bit more educational. So today we're continuing our conversation with my friend, Michelle Suffrage. And if you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode where Michelle and I talk about her family and their journey through international adoption and um, Refugee Hope Partners, the ministry where she's the executive director, which we still are going to continue to talk about Refugee Hope Partners today. But we're kind of adding a little bit different perspective to that. So um, one of our core distinctives at 127 Worldwide is um, that we want to have healthy engagement that encourages empowerment and preserves human dignity. So some of you guys might have heard of the book, When Helping Hurts. It's one that I always recommend as someone is beginning this journey and wanting to learn more. I know other people on the podcast have recommended it. So Michelle and I have had many lunch conversations without a microphone in front of our faces <laughs> talking about these kinds of things, um, especially in the midst of COVID. We've talked about um, when is it necessary to do development work and relief work? There's an episode um, in season one where I did um, a little bit deeper dive into that. Um, this idea of when we help people, are we enabling them? Are we creating dependency? Um, and then just personally, as we wrestle with these things before COVID, during COVID, probably after COVID. And so um, I know that's a lot to kind of pull together into one question, Michelle, but I would love for you just to kind of talk about um, some of our, you know, kind of just get the conversation started for us today, talking about healthy engagement. It's it's a great question. And I would have really, 15 years ago, would have been the, per, the person that you would have least liked to have had come along <laughs> on one of your 127 worldwide trips when we went to, um, when we went to adopt my son, I was the one handing out dollar bills uh, to the kids mm. that were swarming me. The social worker that met us at the airport pulled me out of a crowd of kids into a car um, <laughs> and gave me a stern talking to about how that was not helpful. But I that was where my heart was. I just wanted to bring joy in that moment. And you know, those dollar bills were creating a lot of joy. And um, and so I feel like I have learned a lot along the way because your heart breaks for things that people have gone through. Mm-hmm. I think one of my earliest stories um, of, of ways that God was changing my thinking is we had a, a young one of these first families that was attending my church on Sundays. And I was talking with her in very broken English. She was probably 10 maybe even eight or nine. And I noticed in her ears, she had, they were, they were pierced what with what looked like a twist tie from a bag of mm-hmm. bread. And as, as a mom, I was like, what? <laughs> that, that cannot be good. That cannot be safe. And I, I went to her dad and I told him, I thought I needed to take her to the doctor because I was sure she was going to get tetanus. <laughs> And so I made an appointment and took her and her mother to the doctor who had pierced her ears Mm -hmm. uh, to the pediatrician. The pediatrician came in, had never seen anything like that before, was actually a a piece of string that had been dipped in like wax, so it was firm. And the doctor was like, had a similar reaction to me. And so she went to get the scissors to cut it out of her ear. And when she pulled it out and realized it was 
this a piece of string. She was like, actually, these look better than the ears I see coming <laughs> in that where the mamas have taken their daughters to the mall. Yeah. And that's a simple, small little example, but it was really impactful to me. Like my first reaction was, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And that word good, like it, it was good. It was, oh, you know, it was yeah. fine. It was as good as what I had done. It was just different. And trying to learn more before acting, mm-hmm. trying to slow myself down when I found myself having a reaction like that, like this can't be good, really thinking through what their experience had been um, mm-hmm. and how that had worked for them. Uh, and where they had, where they have come from for generations past, where they were now, those were all things that still worked. They were just different. Yeah, from different me. from you is not bad. <laughs> different from me is not bad. Yeah, it's yeah. a different category. It's I think we're adding. Yeah. So how does this look when you're working with so many volunteers coming from suburbia to Refugee Hope Partners? Is that are there training? conversations, um, what does that look like so people aren't handing your family's dollar bills? <laughs> yes, it's, it is challenging, and it does require um, a lot of training. One thing that was important, has been important, um, with even the beginnings of Refugee Hope Partners, of forming the structure of Refugee Hope Partners, is creating a framework for ministry so that when mm-hmm. someone walked into someone's home to help with a paper that needed to be filled out, or someone was tutoring a child in homework help, they might notice like that kid is wearing flip-flops and it's January, or this child is wearing a tank top and it's, you know, Mm -hmm. 15 degrees outside. And instead of having, or this child has a cough that sounds really rough and this this was pre-COVID. Now mm-hmm. those people would not be anywhere <laughs> around us, but um, they would notice something about a child or an adult, and they would feel really overwhelmed with that and feel like, okay, I've come to do this one thing, but now there's this huge thing that I wasn't aware of, and that would mm-hmm. overwhelm people. Um, so that was one aspect that we saw was that people would get overwhelmed, and then when people feel overwhelmed, they pull back. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted volunteers to be able to say, hey, I was helping this kid with reading, but I noticed they had flip-flops on it. It's really cold outside. And then that's something that we could run with. And we could say, yeah, we'll check into that and see. Now, a lot of the times that kid's wearing flip-flops because kids like to wear Mm flip-flops in January. (laughs) and But it was helpful for them to know that they were passing that on and that we were going to take it seriously and do a dive into it. They didn't have to solve the problem. They could just bring it to your attention. Yeah, they they would just bring it to our attention. And through working with families over a long period of time, there are some families that that kid really does need shoes, but then there are families where that kid just likes flip-flops. And so that discernment comes from relationship Mm -hmm. and just handing another pair of shoes doesn't solve the issue that that kid just wants to wear tennis no. shoes. I mean, wants to wear flip-flops. And so as a ministry, we have never given anything away. There's always some exchange that um, is involved. We typically, this time of year, are hosting a backpack and school supply event, mm-hmm. which we call a sale. Um, churches donate backpacks and a list of school supplies that we get mm-hmm. from the schools, which we package together in grade-level kits, depending on what each child needs. 
Parents come shop for those. They purchase them for a dollar or two dollars a bag. And the parents get the joy of purchasing those supplies for their children. The children get the joy of seeing their parents provide for Mm -hmm. them. And we kind of are just store workers. We're kind of invisible to the exchange. And that has worked really well in our community. We do the same thing with coats. In the fall, we sell coats. We don't give them away, even though everyone knows the Mm-hmm. Amount that's being exchanged is less than what it would be <laughs> if you were going to TJ Maxx or you're going to, to Walmart. Um, it it dignifies the exchange. And so really that food distribution that we did in March and April was really the first relief work mm-hmm. that we've done. But we got 10 weeks into it and we realized This is a one-size-fits-all solution, and not Mm -hmm. everyone is operating from the same place. And it's not sustainable. And it's not good. It's not just that it's not sustainable. It's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're creating a dependent situation, so we needed to off-ramp that. We didn't want to off-ramp that like Effective Monday. We are no longer going to be doing that. (laughs) We gave churches, small groups— Sunday school classes and the residents an off ramp time frame, but we committed in that process. We're going to visit every family and meet with them in a what we would normally call a home visit, which we now call a door visit. <laughs> how are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. how is your job? Were you able to get unemployment if you lost your job? Mm-hmm. Do you have food? You know, and we do still have families who are struggling, um, but we're helping those few families and. Other people are being able to handle that need mm-hmm. on their own. So we didn't want to stay stuck in that place. Part of the reason for doing that initially is that we really could not be yeah. together. Would you have some resources you would recommend? Again, if people are just kind of learning about this whole idea of not wanting to hand out dollar bills. <laughs> yeah, I would really, I, I highly recommend When Helping Hurts. The version of it that I like the best Um is there's an orange, it's orange, <laughs> and it's a small group version that you mm-hmm. would do with with a group of people. There's six, I think there's six lessons. Each lesson has a video that goes with it. You read the material together, you watch the video, and then you discuss it. It would work really well over Zoom right now. It's mm-hmm. a really great time to do it. As a staff, we read that book every year. Every intern that comes through our program, mm-hmm. every volunteer that leads a program, they go through that material every year. Um, we lead book clubs on it. I personally go through it about three times a year with various groups of people. There has not been a time where I've read that book where I have thought, you're doing great. <laughs> every time I read it, I think, oh, why did you do that for that person instead of helping them do it? Why did you just assume that in that situation? Well, the way you went in and bulldozed that family was really destructive. And, mm-hmm. you know, do you need to apologize? And how do you keep that from happening again? So just that constant hitting up against that material for me, it's been guardrails that if I wasn't intersecting my life and my thoughts and my ministry mm-hmm. with that, I feel like it would be really easy for me to You're get not off perfect course. yet. <laughs> no, and I appreciate that about the book because it actually really mm-hmm. says that very clearly in the book. And when I read that, maybe the third time, I was like, 
that takes the pressure off because it said it's not a dot that you're going to land on. It yeah. is a framework. And there's grace around that and process. there's grace around it. Yeah, I love that. A lot of these ideas about refugees and immigrants has become political and you're trying to raise money from people who have very different um, opinions. So I'd love just kind of get your, as the executive director, is this a problem? One, just looking at what the Bible says about taking care of vulnerable people. How have you kind of reconciled the polarizing opinions? And it doesn't seem like our ministry job should be political, but there is that kind of running thread. So I'd love just to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> Yeah, there there definitely is that. There is definitely that thread. I mean, to me, the Bible is very clear that God has a heart for the vulnerable. I think about even Jesus' ministry. He noticed the people on the fringes. That's who he noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would separate himself from the crowd to go to the one um, that was outside that had a need. And so I, I feel like the Bible is really clear. Um you know, refugee resettlement is a tough space right now. The numbers of mm-hmm. refugees that are coming in, it's incredibly low. It's not just lower than it's ever been. It's like in a different category mm-hmm. than it's ever been. Um, but we had a family arrive two weeks ago from Afghanistan. So there are still, there is still a trickle of people, mm-hmm. but not nearly what it was a few years ago. And I know people have lots of opinions about how many, from where, what's safe for our country. Um, and, and honestly, my heart is let them come because <laughs> I see the brokenness that they've come from. I see mm-hmm. um, the hardship that they're overcoming. I see their, uh, de- their really their focus and their desire to not just come here and live off of us, but to actually add to what's mm-hmm. going on in our country. Um, but I realize that that's not where everyone is. So kind of how I have reconciled that uh, is that I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. <laughs> yeah. You know, that those decisions are being made. I ha- certainly have an opinion. If you want to go to coffee with me, um, I would love, I would be glad to share. We could go yeah. back and forth. I would be happy to talk about that more. Um, but there are refugees that are being allowed into this country. So the mm-hmm. moment they land, the moment their feet are on U.S. soil, we are called to welcome them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does it look like to not? What does it look like to to allow them to come in and turn our backs mm-hmm. on them? You know, what does that do long term? And so, you know, I think the church needs to be there welcoming them, walking along beside them, Um you know, yeah. building friendships with them. And so that's kind of where we set that's where I personally and we as a ministry settle out. Like we can have a we can have a coffee shop discussion, an impassioned discussion about that topic, but but these are decisions that have already been made. Yeah. And they're here. Um I know like respecting the privacy of the people that you work with, I'd love just to hear some success stories, particularly for refugee hope partners, like a difference that you guys have made in a family. Um like a newsletter-worthy story that yeah. you could share with us? One story that I that I would share is a really dear family to me that has gone through a lot of hardship. They came uh, originally to Atlanta, actually, um, because the father had some medical needs, some medical issues that were going on with his face. He had had an injury in his eye. 
they were not able to um, deal with that in the country where he was. And so his process, actually, his case got expedited because he was so severely sick. And he was in his early 30s, maybe even mm-hmm. late 20s, father of four uh, kids. They had a fifth. They've had a fifth um, since then. But um, they went to Atlanta. He had surgery, uh, ended up discovering he had cancer, pretty aggressive, rare cancer. They Mm -hmm. moved here. I met them because they moved here to be near some family members that were in the Raleigh area. Just tough, tough situation. He's Mm -hmm. now in his, you know, mid to late 30s. He's had cancer now for a number of years. Um, He's now living in a care facility, um, Mm -hmm. really under a, in a hospice type situation, but in a nursing home. And it's sad right now because he's cut off from visitors. But their family really had no support around them. They they had some, but it wasn't any type of organized support. And so the littles were alone more than they needed to be. There was some food insecurity. The mom was having to work because mm-hmm. the dad couldn't, uh, was gone from the home a lot. So we have just walked them. We've just walked with them as friends and family through mm-hmm. this situation to where he, you know, now where he is in this being cared for, but we created a child care structure, a supervision structure for the kids. How do we come alongside this mom and support her when Mm -hmm. she's trying to do that? And, um, you know, through that process, I feel like I don't know how that family would have weathered that storm without that structure around them. We just kind of built out, like, if you, if, if she was my sister or my cousin, you know, what I would have done for them is what we've done for that family. So yeah. it's just been sweet to see them. And even during COVID, they've done they've done well. They've their family Good. is strengthening and growing. Whereas I think it could have been in a much different situation. Um, other example is probably our bridge program, which is our mentoring program that we have for high school juniors and seniors. This was our first year, finished our first year up in May. And seeing kids come to that hurdle of, you know, for every year, for 12 years, well, for however long they're here, (laughs) the bus shows up in August, they get on the bus, they go to school, all that's decided for them. And seeing them come up to the end of that, it's like, I have no idea what to do. We had been noticing a pattern of a lot of kids either not going at all to anything beyond high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, some trying, but ultimately going back into low-wage jobs where they have English now, they have a high school education now. So we built a program, again, an organic program around that need and walked with those kids, not just setting up checklists for them to do the next thing, but talking with them about what do you think you would like to do? Mm -hmm. That's even been interesting um, a lot of the girls said nurse. Uh, a lot of the guys said a mechanic mm-hmm. because those are the things that they had seen people of their gender do Yeah, that were interesting to them. So we hosted career nights and had different folks come and talk about different careers and what was required educationally. And um, we just had 13 kids finish that program oh, and graduate. Awesome. And so those are, you know, pretty practical things. Yeah. but. Seen uh, and one of those one of those students um, went through family was Christian family from Burma mm-hmm. went through a really 
difficult journey in her faith mid-high school, really struggling. She had come as a kindergartner. She'd been here a long time, (laughs) really was trying to throw off the refugee category. She didn't want to be in that category anymore. Very bright, has done very well academically, has really overcome every obstacle, but really felt like God was really distant from her Mm -hmm. and wasn't sure that that was part of her story, what her parents' faith had been. And watching her navigate through that, that we had the relationship, that she could be honest about that, that Mm -hmm. we could pray. She's a doer. She's a make-things-happen kind of person. We talked Mm -hmm. a lot about, you know, maybe there's nothing that you can do that's going to make God feel closer to you. It doesn't matter if you add 30 more minutes to your quiet time. It doesn't matter if (laughs) you go to three more small groups. You know, we need to pray and you need to have your eyes open the ways that God is reaching toward you. Maybe there's nothing that you need to do. Maybe you just need to be open to what God is doing. Um, And really the moment for her is we took a a group of students to Passion in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I had coffee with her. She's just started her first week of college. She's living (laughs) away from home uh, in a dorm which is a huge step for a refugee student. Not common at all, but she's doing that. But she told me that it was that moment at Passion where there were tens of thousands of people her age that Mm -hmm. were worshiping the Lord that she saw God for who He was, and it broke her. And it's just, it was beautiful to see. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, again, I know there's a lot of uncertainty. Who knows what the next few months are going to hold, but what's something you're excited about the future of Refugee Hope Partners? Uh, I am really, actually, really excited about how the church is going to show up and how God is going to work in this time. Mm-hmm. Right now, it feels like a loaves, loaves and fishes <laughs> moment where mm-hmm. I know what the need is. The need fills insurmountable. Um, So I'm excited to see a month from now to see how the church has shown up and what God has done through that in our community. That's exciting. Well, thank you so much for taking some time with us today and just sharing your heart and what God's doing at Refugee Hope Partners. Thank you, Sarah Beth. Thanks so much for joining us for this conversation today. I really hope this deeper dive was helpful for you as we looked at one of the core distinctives at 127, which is that we want to minister with healthy engagement that encourages empowerment and preserves human dignity. I know that's a mouthful, but it really is foundational to the work that we want to do at 127 as we empower local leaders who are caring for the vulnerable in their communities. So I hope this conversation with Michelle was encouraging for you. Maybe it gave you some things to consider as you continue to learn how to engage in healthy ways. Um, As always, we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, ideas about the show, feel free to email us at simply127 at 127worldwide.org. Or you can check out our website, which is 127worldwide.org forward slash simply127. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to connecting with you again real soon.